Justin. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. One of the elders, uh, lead teacher here at Peninsula Grace. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we're in an Advent series right now, and starting in January, we're going to be walking through the letters of First and Second Timothy. Next week, we're going to be handing out some reading plans. We'd love for you to be in the Word, your God, Word of God yourselves and as families. And so there's a reading plan designed to be in step with where we're at in the sermons. And we'll be handing those out next week. They'll also be uh, online. You can uh, download one of those, print one off uh, from there as well. But we're glad you're here with us this morning. Um, today's reading, we just heard from the Henry family in Luke 2, the angels singing, Peace on Earth. Earth, And as we look around at the landscape of 2020 and we think about this concept of peace on earth, we see a, a lot of lack of peace, don't we? We see a lot of need for peace. I think about the, the peace for our nation. We are a, a nation that is completely divided down the political aisle. But on both sides, we see venom and, and hatred spewed toward the other. And either side was saying, if our candidate is not elected, we're out of here. We're going to Canada, right? We see a lot of division. But not only at the national level, we see it in our homes, we see during this pandemic, we, we've seen as children are at home, as families and, and are more cooped up, we have seen uh, domestic violence rise. And, and the experts say that this often happens when families, during periods where they're spending more time together and during emergencies and, and crises. And really what's happening here is we're just revealing the lack of peace that is already in the home. This is just simply showcasing the lack of peace that's there. And then it gets more personal. We see a lack of peace in our souls. We've seen in this period of time more isolation. We've, we've seen job loss. We've seen financial stress. We've seen this bring about depression and suicide, uh, anxiety levels, and, and we've seen, experts have said that, that, thing, that suicide rates have jumped 145%. We've certainly seen those tragedies, unfortunately, in our own neighborhoods right here. And so we look at this landscape, and, and we see that the pro there's a problem, but we've got to get to the root of the problem if we're going to deal with the real solution. And to understand why the fruit of peace isn't flowering, we need to see things from God's perspective, hear from God's words. That's what we want to do this morning. Um, we've been walking through this Advent series, uh, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. The first week, we looked at the idea of hope, and last week, love. This week, we're going to talk about peace, and then we'll finish things up next week with joy. The word Advent, it means the notable arrival of a person. And there was no more notable arrival in the history of our earth than Jesus Christ coming, God himself, to earth. Um, the first two weeks we spent mostly in the Old Testament, where we witnessed the people of Israel witnessing, witnessing and, and waiting for the hope of a deliverer. We looked at hope. And then last week, Pastor Ross walked us through the concept of love from this shepherd who was promised to come and rescue them from sin-produced exile. We saw, we left them in, in exile, and we see God be faithful in the Old Testament to bring his people, as promised, out of exile from Assyria and Babylon. But the problem was that the people of Israel came back with themselves, and they continued to, to sin against their God, and, and they continued to be oppressed, even those who entered back in the land. And Israel, from that point forward, is passed on like a baton from the Babylonian and Assyrian empires to the Medo-Persians, and then to the Greeks. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, where we're going to pick up the story this morning, uh, it's the Roman Empire that is uh, ruling the known world. Um, now, we, we're going to pick up the story this morning in 4 BC, where Israel is still not free. 
We see an enemy from without, the Roman Empire, and we see an enemy from within, their own sin. And the people 2,000 years ago in the Middle East needed peace just as much as we need it today. In John 14, this deliverer that came, he said these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So we see a peace that Jesus came to bring. He, 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 but we're going to see this morning that it is not like the, the, the peace that the world offers. And we're going to contrast the world's peace and Jesus's peace as we examine our own hearts. If you're following along, there's little blanks in your, in your bulletin. The first one here, the peace of Rome. Let's look at the peace of Rome. By the time of Jesus's birth, Rome had established what would become the longest lasting empire that the world would ever know. And if Beyonce was living back then, she would have said, who runs the world? Rome. Who runs the, runs the world? Rome, Rome, she, but she wasn't, she's not that old. Um, the empire extended over uh, 70 million people. That's a third of the world's population. So today that would have been an equivalent of two and a half billion of the seven and a half billion people on the planet. Um, they were ruling a lot, a lot of people. The, uh, the Romans boasted about what they called 200 years of peace. Um, from the period of Caesar Augustus, he was the first emperor. He's the one that's alive as Caesar when Jesus is born. And all the way up until Marcus Aurelius in AD 180, this period of time that they, they called the Pax Romana, it, it meant uh, Roman peace. I believe it's also a dish at the Olive Garden, right? Can I get a Pax Romana? I'll tell you when I want no more Parmesan. And then you wait, and you never say when, right? You just want to see if the waiter will actually ever stop. It's really fun. Um, don't do that. That's not like Jesus. Um, so what we see here is, is this Pax Romana, they, they declare on the world, well, how did they achieve this peace? Well, what they did was they, they beat down their opponents until they lost their ability to resist them any longer, right? How sweet. Julius Caesar, he said it this way, veni, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, and I conquered. Uh, the, the, the Romans, they offered peace through the world by forcing the rest of the nations to bow the knee to their emperor. That they would force the world, they would tax them. In fact, in Luke 2, when we just read about taking that census... Not just counting people, they want to know who they're supposed to tax. That Rome was, was essentially an ancient bully. Like a friend, say, you, you can be my friend if you give me your lunch money. Rome is essentially taking everybody else's lunch money. And so what we see here is three elements of the world's take on peace through this Pax Romana. And we want to look at these. The first one is taking life, taking life. This was a peace that said, my will be done. That you will conform to my way. This is imposing your will on other people. And this is what Rome did. They threatened people through war and torture and death. This was the invention of the, of the crucifixion. Where they would say, you either do my will or we put you on the cross. This was their method. That Rome used fear and intimidation and coercion. They took your will. They took your soul. They took the lives of others. They pushed themselves up to the top in the process, pushing everybody underneath of them. So we see this taking of life to achieve peace. The second thing they did was there was a mere absence of outward conflict. It was just outward. The dominated kingdoms didn't exactly have warm fuzzies for the emperor. They weren't passing around make Rome great again hats, right? They were not excited about uh, Rome's uh, rule and they did not want to see that continue. They just had to be at peace with Rome because Rome had bigger muscles. This is what we would call more of a cold war, where maybe they weren't physically fighting, but it certainly wasn't warm fuzzies and group hugs with the rest of the nations and Rome. We see that many marriages in this state, what we call cold war. Maybe you're not yelling at each other, but it's a far cry from true peace and harmony in the relationship. 
So maybe there's not outward conflict, but, but this is what we would call fake peace, right? It's like what we see on Facebook these days, or, or maybe your family Christmas card. You presented well, but let's be real. You know how your family really is, right? <laughs> we, we, you, I would like to see somebody dare to put the outtake on Facebook, right? You dirty liars. Um, in in Jesus' name, sorry. Uh, number three, the, the, there, this, this Roman peace is temporary. It's temporary. Uh, because this is fake, this, this kind of peace is always changing according to who is the strongest. As soon as Rome shows a weak spot, another nation's going to rise up and take control of the world, right? It's, it's the next empire's turn to run the world. This is not a solution, a permanent solution for world peace. So let's compare the peace of Rome with the peace of Jesus, the Pax Romana with, with Pax Jesus. Um, the word for um, peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. Shalom. In fact, th- this was a very central um, idea in, in their culture. So, and this was actually the way you said hello and the way you said goodbye. It's kind of like aloha, right? It, it's both of them. And so this was the, the first thing you would say to somebody and the last thing that you would say to somebody. And one of the things about the Hebrew language, language that is so cool is there's meaning not just on the word level, but even the, the letters themselves. They were little pictures, very different than, than our language today. And so when you're reading Hebrew, you go from right to left as opposed to us. In the, in the other direction. So this word shalom, it had four letters. So starting at the right, um, the first one was this little picture. The, the letter is called shin, and it means destroy. They're little teeth. So like when I sit down at the dinner table with my steak, I destroy that baby, right? And I use my teeth to destroy. Praise, praise Jesus for me, amen? So he, the shin means to destroy. Then the second thing was a, a, a shepherd's crook. You see that? The lamed is the next letter. It's a shepherd's crook. And this meant, the word meant authority. So a shepherd has authority over his sheep, right? He would use the hook, get back here, you bad. So was that joke. And so he pulls them back in, right? So there's authority in the shepherd's hook. Then the next one is uh, vav. And vav meant to establish. And it, it was kind of this idea of like a nail that you would, you would put something, you'd nail into the wall and then establish as you put the thing on the nail, the nail would hold it in place. It would establish its place on the wall. And then finally, mem, the word means chaos. And what this was, this symbolized little waves because the Hebrew people were desert people. And so for them, the idea of a sea, of the ocean, that that was an idea of of chaos, of the unknown, of of this idea of we're drowning in, in, in something that we are not familiar with. And so when you take these words and you put them in order, it gives you the definition of peace right here in the word itself. It's so cool. The word, it means to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. To destroy the authority that establishes chaos. So what's the authority that establishes chaos in our world? It's sin and death, right? Sin and death brings chaos and brokenness into our world. And so peace destroys the the authority that establishes chaos, meaning it brings order to, to what is chaotic. It brings wholeness to what is broken. It's this beautiful concept that means way more than just not fighting with somebody. And, and this word shalom, we see it all through scripture. In Joshua 8, Joshua is told to make an altar of uncut stone. That word is shalom because those stones were to be whole, not to be broken. Use whole stones that are uncut. Um, the, the word picture often was used when they talk like a wall. If a wall is broken in shambles, then when you, the, the process of shalom was rebuilding that wall. And when every brick is in its proper place, that wall is experiencing shalom. It's as it should be. There's order to what was broken and chaotic. 
We see this in Job 5. Job says, you shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. So your tent was in shalom when there was no more animal, no animals were missing. When every, um, every thing, every person was where it was supposed to be. This is biblical OCD. That's really essentially what we're talking about here, right? Everything is in its place, all the people. So this, this can be physical wholeness. When Jesus heals somebody, he's bringing uh, order or wholeness to what is broken, to what is sick. There can be a physical shalom in our bodies. It can also be, when Jesus, what did he say when he calmed the sea? He said, shalom, peace, be still. The chaotic storm that was going on, he calmed it, brought it back to the way it was supposed to be. But this is not just physical. It can also be talking about relational wholeness in our own hearts. When, when David goes to check on his brothers in the, the David and Goliath battle, he, he's told to check on his brothers shalom. How, how is your spirit? How is your heart, brother? Are you whole? Is there order in your spirit? Is what he's asking here. There could also be a form of when a relationship was broken, shalom was bringing that relationship back. In the law, they, they talked about this. In, in Exodus 22, it says, when a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay. There's the word shalom is the word repay. It can mean to restore Five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. So this was a shalom payment. So if, if I was to steal your ox, classic Justin, I'm always stealing ox, <laughs> guilty. Um, this shalom payment would restore. It would make whole. Not only would it give you back animals that I, and in fact, more here to restore, but it also restored the relationship. That as I came back, I would apologize and the relationship was restored, right? We can be friends again and frolic and, and, and do friend things. So peace is, is more than just the mere absence of conflict, that we're not yelling at each other. We're not fighting against each other. That the biblical idea of shalom is to bring wholeness to what's broken. It's much more, it's much deeper, right? And this is what, this is what God is doing. He's bringing peace, order into our chaos, wholeness to what is broken. So like politically, to have peace with another nation, according to shalom, would not just be that you're not fighting, but that you're actively working for one another's benefit. Wholeness to what is broken. So you think about the people of Israel. Their chaos and brokenness being in slavery and bondage to other nations and the sin from within, they are waiting for, remember we said in, in Genesis 3, this snake crusher, the one who would come to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. This deliverer was to come to rescue them. So what would he do? What would he be like? Well, we saw in Isaiah 9, the famous passage about this deliverer, he will be called Prince of Peace. So this signifies that he's a ruler, he's the prince, and he's the ruler that will bring what? Peace, that he will bring wholeness to what is broken. But how will he do this? How will this deliverer, uh, deliverer bring peace? Is he going to come pack in heat with a first century SWAT team? Is he going to come down to earth and, and start taking names? Is he going to out-Rome Rome, essentially? Is this going to just be a bigger and more powerful army than the Roman Empire had? This is nothing like what they would have ever imagined in their wildest dreams. So amazing to see the way that God combats the world's largest empire as he brings this little baby into a manger. In the backwoods of an oppressed people in Israel to a broke carpenter and his teenage wife. This is how peace enters into our world. And you know the story. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keep watching, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. Who is the Messiah? Here's the snake crusher, the, the Prince of Peace, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts of the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the, highest, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. So here's this story, peace on earth, true peace. But what does peace look like? Notice here, it's interesting, the phrase here, it says there's a heavenly host up in the sky, this angelic host. And really that ho the idea of host, it means an army. So here's an army of angels. So here's the king, the Messiah, the prince of peace, and his army. They've come to battle against Caesar Augustus, the emperor, and his army. But what is this going to look like? We see that Jesus does not take the Pax Romana, the Roman road, to deliver peace, right? We don't see J J baby Jesus lifting an Uzi out of the manger with camo diapers, right? Going, charge! Take no pussitos! I don't know why... He can't talk, but he's able to lead an army in charge. I don't know. Okay. Um, this is not Pax Romana. This is Pax Jesus. This is an innocent baby who will grow into a man who will heal, who will forgive. He comes to speak the truth boldly. In fact, his speaking of the truth will get himself killed by this Roman Empire and the Jews. I love the Chris Rice song, one of my favorite Christmas songs, uh, Welcome to Our World. And he, and he says, there's this line, it's this prayer, bring your peace into our violence. Do we not need a savior who will bring peace into the midst of our violence within and without? And what we want to compare here is the violence of Rome with the peace of Jesus, with the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God that he came to announce, with the Pax Romana and the Pax Jesus. Now, when we hear about someone trying to take over the world, we rightly get nervous, right? When we look through human history and we see Alexander the Great, when we see Hitler, when we see Pinky in the Brain trying to take over the world, right? We, we rightly get nervous. If you're not from the 90s, you won't get that. And that's totally cool. Two lab rats trying to take over the world. Super normal. Um, but what we see here is this attempt. And, and, and we've always seen that when, when human beings try to take over the world, it, it goes sideways, right? Because absolute power cor uh, absolutely corrupts. And what we see here with, with, with the August, Caesar Augustus is he makes these claims. And he makes the claim not only to be the supreme ruler of the world, but that actually he claims to be the divine son of God. They saw the emperor as, as, as the son of, of God. And so what he's really claiming is, I have a right to rule, not just Rome, but the entire world. God, no one else could usurp that, right? This is from God. And, and we, we see some parallels here with Jesus, right? Because Jesus also claimed to be the supreme ruler, not just the king of the Jews, but ultimately he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Jesus, just like Caesar Augustus, claims to be the son of the divine God. Now, now, the difference here that we see is, is just like everybody else who has tried to take over the world did it in, in, in a sense of as a human being, we saw the corrupt version. Here is the true God, the true king of the world, and his rule was going to look very different than any sinful human rule ever did, where Caesar tried to achieve peace by taking the lives of others. Jesus would come achieving peace through the giving of his own life. That Caesar was doing it for his own sake and his own glory, but Jesus hung on that cross for the sake of others. Caesar tried to bring peace through fear and intimidation, where he'd say, if you don't follow me, I will nail you to a cross. The revolutionaries. But Jesus, he brought peace through love and sacrifice. 
In fact, he said, because you don't get along with me, because your heart is against me, I'm going to hang on the cross that you should be on. And here's Caesar who wants all the glory for himself, a human being who is not worthy of that position and tries to force other people to worship him. Here's the one God of the universe who deserves all the glory. And Jesus came in John 8 and said, I don't seek my own glory. I'm here for the glory of my father. I don't want any glory that's apart from his glory. And Jesus didn't force people to bow down to him. Jesus came and saw the real problem of sin in our hearts. And for those who were willing to receive the remedy, he offered life through the giving of his own. You see, the root problem in our lives is not a lack of peace in our nation. It's not a lack of peace in our family. And it's not even a lack of peace within our own souls. The ultimate problem is a lack of peace with God. Brothers and sisters, the reason our nation is broken, the reason our homes are broken, the reason our our insides are broken is because we don't worship God rightly. That's the problem. That's the fundamental problem. If everybody worshiped God right, if we trusted him and feared him and obeyed him, there wouldn't be any war. There wouldn't be any poverty. There wouldn't be any cliques. There wouldn't be any divorce. There wouldn't be any depression. But instead, I follow Caesar's way. And I sit on the throne of my own kingdom and try to force other people to wave the Justin flag. Now, of course, none of us are, I hope, none of us are literally trying to start an empire. Like, if you are, come talk to me before you do that. Um, I'm going to caution you a little bit. But what we do is we do, this, we do this internally and subtly, right? Every time we demand our own way, we are trying to say, just like Caesar, my way or the highway. Every time I'm driving on Cave Beach Road, and I want everybody else to drive the right speed, which is the speed that I go, right? <laughs> demanding my way, demanding the approval of other people. Everyone needs to, to like me, needs to see me in a, in a, in a good light. Every time I, I demand credit for what I've done, Every time I try to demand control of my life, and our hearts are doing the exact same thing as Caesar's. And our world is full of fake kings trying to steal each other's thrones. And this is where the war and the sin and the brokenness and the chaos come from. So so what, what did Jesus come to do? He came to fix the fundamental problem we had, peace with God. And Romans 5 tells us he has. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, how? By faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Jesus has championed the victory of peace in our lives. And what does that look like? Well, he says it right here. It's it's not just the absence of violence. It's not like God's like, fine, I won't kill you. It goes much, much deeper than that. When When we sing the song, peace on earth and mercy mild. I don't know what mercy mild means a hot sauce, right? Yeah, mercy spicy, that would be my option. I don't know. Um, Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. You hear that word? That's that's the idea of peace, right? That the broken relationship between God and sinner is going to be restored. That we are going to be made one with our God again. And this is what Jesus' finished work, what Jesus Christ has done for us, Romans 5, 1 says. That he completely satisfied God's wrath and anger toward us. He removed the barriers that stood between us and our God in our sin. And he himself, how did he do it? By making the shalom payment to restore the relationship. And his blood cleans us. And more than just God not being mad at us, being at war with us, we now have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Amen. That you and I are in the family, forever accepted, forever loved, forever at one with our God. And how do we, we have that happen? Jesus himself is our peace, Ephesians 2 says. 
That, that Jesus was the human that I was made to be, but failed to be. He was that in my place and gave me his very life. And now with the life of that Prince of Peace in me, I'm sent out to be a peacemaker just like the Jesus I follow. Romans 1, Colossians 1 says we have this amazing job to go out and, and through Jesus, he's reconciling all things to himself. He's making all things right, which will come to fruition when he comes back the second time. And right now, we are being sent out by Jesus to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men. So what does that look like? What does Pox Jesus look like in 2020 on the Kenai Peninsula during the, the middle of a pandemic? Three things as we contrast what, what the Roman peace looked like, and we'll be done. Number, first of all, this is not just outward, an absence of outward conflict, but it's the presence of inward wholeness. Now, this was said by my favorite president of all time, uh, President James Marshall of the Air Force One, the 1990s blockbuster hit. That's where I get most of my theology. He said this, he said, true peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of justice. It's not just that we're no longer punching each other, but that we're actually doing the right thing toward each other. That's the presence of, of wholeness. That, but what does that look like? Well, one of my favorite names ever, Rupertus Meldenius, said it this way. When Rupertus Meldenius says anything, you listen us, right? So here, here's what he said. In the essentials, unity. So there are essentials in our lives that we need to agree upon to have peace. Jesus didn't just come saying what our, see, our world, Derek Webb sings it like this. He says, we trade peace for false unity. And what that means is a lot of times the world might say, well, you do you, I'll do me. Your truth is your truth, my truth. That's not the peace that Jesus came to bring. He didn't say, hey, man, whatever you believe. No, he said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. If there's going to be oneness with God, we must agree with him about the way things really are. And we must agree with each other for there to be true unity. But that's the essentials. That's the gospel itself. There are a lot of things that are not essential for us to agree about. And he says about those things and non-essentials, there's liberty. There's freedom. That there are things that you and I are not going to agree on and we can still have unity. But he said in all things, whether it's essential or not, he said charity, love. That we would love each other regardless of whether we disagree or agree on the peripherals. And man, I got to be honest, I think about this period of time as we've been so ugly to each other during the pandemic. Brothers and sisters, we can disagree on mask protocol. We can disagree on exactly what's going on with COVID and still have peace. But, but shame on us for looking exactly like the world does when we scream at each other, when we yell at each other, when we treat each other like garbage. That's the sin and brokenness of the world. That's not the peace that Jesus came to bring. We must love each other in the non-essentials. Can we please, can we please show the peace of our Savior? So what does that look like, though? How, how do we show peace? Well, it's the second principle, giving of life. Giving of life. Or as the Roman peace said, my will be done. You conform to my way. The peace of Jesus says, thy will be done. Isn't that what Jesus said? Whatever, Father, whatever you want me to do, and that we're conforming to God's way, and that as a people, we are conforming to God's will. See, our job is to point people to their root problem. They're prisoners of sin. Like, that's, that's the key issue here. And, and therefore, the, the key solution, right? The key solution is a right worship of God through Jesus. But listen, how we communicate that message is as important as the message itself. 
And, and so there are two, two key things that we have to think about because we've done, we've, we've gone this route before of the Crusades. There, there was, there's been some, a period of time in our, in our, in our, in our some of our heritage where, where there, was, there were literally people going to war trying to force people to convert to Christianity by the means of the sword. Obviously, that is not the way that Jesus prescribed and is not the way people, he is calling us into. And so as we think about how we go about our job of preaching the gospel, two things we want to think about. Number one, we speak the truth in love. So there is truth. We speak the truth. We don't compromise on the truth, but we speak it in love. In 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about this, where Paul says, Christ's love controls me. It's what compels me. It's what motivates me. And he says, here's our task. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back from, to God, uh, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And Christ has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So there's that shalom. He brought us back into relationship with God, and now we're going out and inviting people to be brought back to God as well. Verse 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation we have this message that says god has brought peace again with himself through jesus verse 20 so we are christ's ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god so we are representing the prince of peace here on earth and Paul says our, our job as ambassadors, as representatives, is to plead with people to be reconciled to their God through Jesus. But notice he says pleading. We do it through pleading, not punching. We don't coerce. We don't force people to bend their will. We plead with them. We speak the truth in love. But then secondly, we, we model a life of peace with God. We have to show them what we're inviting them into. And, and, and yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But First John says that's got to be done in, in word and deed. That our actions have got to match up with what we're saying. In Ephesians 4, it shows us what that looks like. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Do you hear how he's doing what Jesus did? I'm giving my life. I'm in chains. I'm giving up everything to follow Jesus and, and, and to be a part of this, this rescue mission. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Called by God to do what? How, how do we live? He paints us a very practical picture. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Do, do you hear the tone, the way in which we're supposed to treat each other in the essentials and in the non-essentials? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Be known for your peace. Why? For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called the one glorious hope for the future. We are now one in Christ, but we got to live out who we are. And this starts, he says, humility. One of the hardest words to come out of our mouths as proud sinners is, I was wrong. Here's, here's what i got to work on on my end. That, that we're willing to put others before ourselves. That, that we are willing to be patient when someone didn't get it as fast as I did, right? That we're willing to forgive when someone has wronged us. That we're bearing with one another. You see, a peacemaker, if you're going to build this bridge and come back together in, in a relationship with another human, the, the place you got to start is to say, what do I need to work on on my end? Just like with our position before God was to repent of our sin, to step back in, and we go, what do I need to work on here? Like, where's the area I need to learn and grow? What's the thing that I need to come clean with to them and confess? And, and this is not just simply deciding who's right and who's wrong. 
See, the, the Roman way said, I'm standing on this side of the bridge, and when, you're, when you got your act together, when you figured out your stuff, I'll be over here waiting for you. But Shalom, Shalom says both parties are moving toward each other, saying, what's, what's on my end? I can't fix their end. What do I need to work on? To move back toward reconciliation, it requires both parties to step toward each other. And this, this peace that Jesus offers, the giving of life for true inward relational wholeness, it's permanent, as opposed to the temporary peace of Rome. Isaiah 9, that says he'll be called the Prince of Peace, the very next verse, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you hear that truth of our true king, of the Prince of Peace? This is not the president where we say, man, four more years, Jesus, come on, we hope you can still reign when he, when he comes back, right, there, there, he's never going to, he, Jesus will never relinquish that throne. That little mustard seed that started in the backwoods of Israel will continue to grow, continue as we make more and more disciples. That kingdom will continue to increase and the peace of Jesus' kingdom will continue to increase forever and ever. Hallelujah. See, Caesar, he's not around anymore, is he? He died. And the Roman Empire is not around anymore, is it? Quite a a while ago, it it fell apart. And so have many empires since then. And so have many people who demanded their way to try to get peace. There's only one who can provide permanent peace in our lives, with our God, and on this earth. And his name is Jesus. So the question is, which road will you take? We We have a choice. We can take the Pax Romana. We can demand things our way. We can try to force other people, bend their will toward ours, prove that we're right, prove that we're good. Or we can follow Jesus. Say, I'm a sinner that needed a savior. Why don't you come on and join me in following him? Father, we we thank you that the Prince of Peace has come and he has shown us the way. Truly, we sang, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Father, we look around at the broken world right now, and we see a lot of the chaos. We see a lot of the brokenness. God, give us eyes to see by faith that you are at work, that there is a light shining in the darkness. And even though a lot of times we sure seem like we see a lot more darkness than light, that kingdom is growing and expanding, and it will never end. The increase of your kingdom and your peace will never end. So, Father... To the ones listening today, if, if you're impressing on their heart, if there's an area where they're lacking peace inwardly in a relationship, that they would take that first step of repentance and say, what do I need to work on? What do I need to learn? How do I need to do a better job at, at being patient and humble? Considering the other person before myself to be gentle. We have the truth, but if we don't speak it in love, it's brutality. So, Father, may we be a part of this reconciling effort to be ambassadors to this world, that the Prince of Peace has come, that he's made a way back to God, and that we would not only speak that truth through the good news, but that we would live it out in the way that we treat each other. Father, may we look different than the world, and we show how there can be harmony even in the midst of differences. May we be marked by your love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Bring that peace Restore order to the chaos in our hearts, in our communities, and in this world. There's only one road that will accomplish that, and his name is Jesus. And Father, it's in that Prince of Peace's name that we gather, that we go, and that we pray. Amen.